being in the food business, something literally goes wrong, horribly wrong, at least one thing every single day. And you have to learn how to stay extremely zen about the whole thing. Welcome to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with your host, Jerry Saber. Hi, my name is Jerry Saver, and you're listening to the Plan-Based Entrepreneur Show. This is a weekly podcast where I talk with founders, business owners, investors, inventors, marketers, and others who are disrupting entire industries to make our lives and our world healthier, more sustainable, and less dependent on animal-based products. So this is a place for you if you're looking for inspiration and ideas on how to get started or if you want to learn more about the skills to run a successful brand, especially if you're plant curious or vegan. And of course, this is where you can go behind the scenes with me and learn what's happening in the plant-based space, what new companies and products are coming out, hear the stories behind your favorite brands from food to fashion, investing, marketing, social media and more. Now, my guest today is Nancy Kalish, the CEO and founder of Rule Breaker Snacks, and her business is making snacking a guilt-free experience. Now, I have to admit that the subject of healthy snacks is a bit of a sore point for me because if you pay attention, you'll notice that most of the stuff that is marketed as healthy and good for you is actually anything but it's like these companies are just competing who can put more buzzwords on the packaging so people will buy their products and underneath the wrapper they're still loaded up with refined sugars, fats, flavors and other additives. So I actually believe snacks are one of those areas where there is actually a lot of potential to offer better products with better ingredients and I'm really happy that I'm talking today to a company founder who is doing just that. So Welcome to the show, Nancy. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you for joining me. And you now before we get started, I have to admit, I have never had the chance to, to try one of your products before because <laughs> the last time I was in the States, I think you were just starting out and we, we were on the West Coast and I don't think you were there yet. And right now, I don't think you can actually send them down to Mexico, right? Um, not yet, but we'll make sure we figure out a way to get you some of our goodies. Well, and if not, I think we should be in the States a couple times this year and I will definitely make it a point to, to get some. Great. I'll be happy to get you some, you know, Jerry, it's so interesting what you said in the intro about being very suspicious of snacks and, and, um, everything, because that's exactly the way. I felt and still feel about most of the stuff that's out there. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's mostly marketing. Just like I said, most of the stuff that is being sold as healthy, it's oh, okay. How about we not go into that right from the start? <laughs> and okay. if, if if we just start off with with you, if if you have to describe yourself with just one sentence. Who is Nancy Kalish? Let's see. I am someone who aspires uh, to be healthy and eat healthy, but also wants to enjoy life and has a terrible sweet tooth. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sums me up. <laughs> I think that sums you up and it also gives a pretty good um, reason why, why you started doing what you're doing. But... Uh, Tell me, what, what is it that got you interested in healthy foods and plant-based options for healthy foods and snacks? Well, until the last few years, I was a health journalist for about 20 years. I wrote mostly for women's magazines like oh, you know, the Oprah magazine and prevention and health and stuff like that. And um, so I would interview doctors. I've probably interviewed, you know, hundreds of doctors and scientists who have done studies on nutrition over the years. And so, you know, I knew exactly what I should eat to be healthy. 
But at the same time, I had this incredible sweet tooth. And um, literally, they were always, I was always fighting myself. And so um, I would go into the health food store in search of products you know, uh, snacks that were good for me. And really, I found one of two things. Either I found the snacks that we were talking about earlier, um, which were, you know, masquerading as healthy stuff, but really had a lot of sugar and other bad stuff in them. Or um, I, the stuff that was, quote unquote, healthy, was really tasted bad. <laughs> And so I'd end up taking one bite, throwing it out, being really pissed off that I spent the money on it, and then, you know, and then going and eating some Oreos anyway. So I was, uh, I, I, knew, I knew I had to, I wanted to do something just for myself, and that's how things started out. Right, so Oreos, was that because they're, they're vegan, because Oreos are one of those surprising foods that, that are vegan, or was it just... <laughs> Oreos, well, <laughs> Oreos are just bad because they're not good for me, um, and I could eat a lot of them, surprisingly, without getting sick. So I really just knew that um, I was tr just trying to find something that would satisfy my sweet tooth. It wasn't horrible for me. Um, I am um, an aspiring vegan. I don't. I'm. I. I sometimes. I. I really want to eat that way most of the time. Um, Every once in a while, I have dairy or I have fish, but otherwise, I'm pretty much on the straight and narrow. But no, I really just wanted something that I could eat that would, you know, I'd really enjoy, would be satisfying, and um, and also didn't have a lot of bad stuff and might even be good for me. And I had um, read an enormous amount on the internet. I was always trying to find healthy recipes, and I would, um, I saw recipes um, with, that had beans in them in sweet desserts, like brownies. And I thought, hmm, you know, maybe there's something here. So I tried some of them out. And to be honest with you, they were terrible, <laughs> really bad. They smelled like beans, um, which was very bad. They tasted like beans, worse. Um, but uh, they had a really great texture, and I just thought, hmm, if I could somehow get the beaniness out of these, you know, yeah. maybe there's something Let there. me just ask you, when you were experimenting with these desserts, were you using, like, whole cooked or canned beans, or were you using bean flour? Because So I started off with the bean flour, mm -hmm. but the weird thing was that every time I would open a bag of bean flour, there would be like this horrible smell coming from it. And so much so that I, until I discovered that that is actually like what bean flour smells like, I threw out a couple of packages because I thought it was rancid. And then even once I learned that um, a lot of that dissipates when you actually use it in the product, I always still felt that there was a little undercurrent of beaniness uh -huh. in there that I could pick up. So I started uh, experimenting with using whole beans, like black beans were the, actually the first things. Yeah. I no longer use black beans in my product, but they were the first. And, and weirdly enough, the beans themselves do not have the same level of beaniness that the... Um, Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. See, the reason I, I ask this is because we we did a bean brownie recipe for for the first cookbook that we published, and then oh, a couple okay. of times we actually tried to do them with bean flour, and it was just mm -hmm. horrible. So <laughs> yeah. the, the moment you said that the first time, first couple times when you were making bean brownies, they turned out, you know, disgusting. I thought, okay, <laughs> were you using bean flour? Because that's, you know, that's definitely yeah, a trick right. there. It's yeah, you're Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I actually, I, yeah, I don't even have it in my house anymore because I can't, I don't feel like I can use it for anything. And I was working very hard um, masking that, you know. But the weird thing is about the real beans is not only are they, um, once you learn how to work with them, and it did take a while, it took me about a year, frankly, to really perfect my recipe. But um, they also 
real, the whole beans give this really kind of luscious texture mm-hmm. to baked goods. You can't get cakey, so and I, which is okay with me because I'm a fan of the fudgier type of brownies. Yeah. Um, but it gives this really great richness. You know what I like in it too, uh, too especially for uh, vegans, is almost like tof- tofu um, because uh, beans um, can take on, can give a kind of a really nice texture and take on the flavor of other flavors in your recipe. Yes. Um, so they're one of those great base ingredients. So... When you started experimenting with all these bean recipes, were you actually planning to to make a business out of this, or were you just trying oh, no. to make something for yourself? <laughs> just wanted to make it for myself and my friends, and um, you know, I didn't really have right. I didn't really have um, plans uh, to. Uh, do much of anything, but then everybody really started to like them, and so I um, I started to think, hmm, gee, uh, how maybe I should bring these to market. I mean, they're better than what I'm finding in the health food store, and how hard could it be to start a food company? <laughs> and was was there anything in your business background? You know, you, you were talking to a lot of medical and health professionals, which I think it it gives you a pretty good background in terms of what's good for you and and what's not. Indeed. Mm -hmm. Did you have any experience with actual food products or the food industry? Absolutely zero. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely zero. I I literally, when when I look back on it, like, what was I thinking? Um, No, no bit, no, no business uh, background at all. I had never been in any kind of business before, except for, you know, writing, which is not really much of a business. And um, yeah, no, I, um, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. I was lucky enough to um, put, I did realize that I needed people to help me. So early on, I started working with some folks who are kind of like consultants who help bring products like mine to market. And um, I knew that much, but no, I kind of took the leap. And um, (laughs) I'm glad I did, but boy, (laughs) it turned out to be a lot harder to run a food business than I thought. Uh, I'm pretty sure that can be said to to any business. You know, if if you're just starting <laughs> out for for the first time, there there must be hundreds of things mm-hmm. that you don't think of when when you're just beginning, and it's probably better that way because if if you were able to see that whole picture when you were going in, would you still have done it? Um, well, I can honestly say yes. I'm really happy that I've done it. I'm so you know, engaged and enthusiastic. Um, now it's been a few years, um, and I mean, I you know, literally can't wait to get to my desk every morning. Um, uh, it is. It, you're right, though. Um, nobody would ever do this. Like having children, <laughs> you think, oh, no big deal. <laughs> You know, I can handle whatever comes along, and then you know you're you you really get your comeuppance when you actually have them, as I've learned from experience. Um, but uh, yeah, no, um, uh, I I'm I mean, it's been very character building. Unlike um, writing, where uh, you know I used to think if I couldn't get the source that I wanted for a story, it was a terrible disaster, and that was the biggest problem I really faced. Um, Being in the food business, something literally goes wrong, horribly wrong, at least one thing, every single day, and you have to learn how to stay extremely zen about the whole thing. So, like I said, it's been very good for my character. That that sounds... um... I'm pretty sure it's not as scary as it sounds, like something going horribly <laughs> wrong every single day, but I really like your approach to just being very zen about it. Yeah, it's been good. I've learned to, okay, you know, and it's most of them, like 99.9% of the horribly wrong problems 
um, uh, they they re- they do get resolved. So you know, I've been learning something awesome. <laughs> in my second career. Now I I wanted to hear if if you can take us just back to the point where where you started with this as a business. What was that yes. turning point when you decided, okay, this is what I want to do, and this is how I'm going to do it? Well, I had um, so so what happened originally was. I was sitting on the subway in New York, and I was thinking about the brownies, and this, our original company name popped into my head. So now we're Rule Breaker Snacks, but we started off as Pure Genius, and I was thinking like, oh, that's such a great name. Now I have to start this company. So I went to a conference here in Brooklyn, New York, which is where we're based, and it's called the Food and Enterprise Conference. And it was literally all about starting up a food business because Brooklyn is a great place to be starting a food business because there's so many other startups. And at that conference, um, there were there were just so many interesting seminars and people there who were all interested in doing the same thing I, I was thinking about. And I came thinking that I could really um, do it. You know, this was something I could actually um, accomplish. So uh, at that point, I decided to I met these consultants that I ended up working with there, um, and it's called the Relish Food Project, and they help bring products to market. And then I also decided, hey, it's several months from now. I'm going to book a booth at Expo East, which is the big, um, one of the two big uh, national um, natural products and food trade shows. That was coming up in September. This was like in April. And I thought, oh, no problem. I can get a product. I already have this recipe all done. I'll, I'll find someone to make this product in big quantities and then I'll be, and I'll package it. I'll be completely ready in time. <laughs> and we were ready. <laughs> but it was just like, um, it, it, it was basically down to the wire. I mean, we ended up FedExing our samples down to Baltimore, which is where the trade show was, the, the, where they were arriving the morning that the trade show opened. <laughs> it was really touch and go there for a while. So, you know, I'm not sure I answered your question, though, Jerry. Did I answer what you... Oh, oh yes. I, like I said, I just wanted to hear what exactly was happening, what was going through your mind, and, you know, what, <laughs> what was going on around you when, when you decided for that. But tell me about the FedExing, the samples part. Like, <laughs> did, what, what was the it reason was horrible. for that? I went down to Baltimore. We had this table... Um, they had stuck us in some, literally, it was like a back lobby. There were so many people who wanted to exhibit at this show that I was literally in some back lobby off of one of the main rooms of this convention center in Baltimore. And um, I had my little display set up and my little signs and all the stuff. And I had no product samples <laughs> Especially no, no packaged product samples, and then luckily, finally, right, we they, the um, I had a uh, I had found a co-packer, and uh, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know, that's a contract manufacturer for someone like me who has gone from baking things in their kitchen, which you actually can't do in New York State, where I'm based, because it's illegal. You have to make things in a commercial kitchen. So anyway, I had found one of these places, but things had gotten gone wrong um, and, and gotten backed up, and they finally, finally managed to get some products samples packaged for me and sent out um, the night before the show. So I was terrified. <laughs> so at, at this point, you, you had your your brand already set up. Did, did you have your, your logo and your branding already we made did. in your packaging? So I managed, yes, I managed at breakneck speed um, after I decided to go into, you know, to book this booth in April and, and that 
I decided in April the show was in September. At Breakneck Speed, we had I found a wonderful um, company that designs uh, logos and packaging and stuff for food companies called Miller Creative, and they designed something. We managed to get some produced, a small quantity, and um, and then they ran it through their packaging machine at this commercial kitchen, and um, they managed to get it down there. Literally, I was unpacking these packages as the show opened its doors. But luckily, since we were in the back lobby, it took a while for people to find us. But actually, we were ended up being mobbed, so it turned out to be a great show. And at that show, I actually got my first big break um, we, um, a, a retailer who had, tr- who tried the products and really liked them dragged over this guy who was the, um, Northeast sales director for Whole Foods and he really liked them. And he told me, if you can do all these things and he went down a whole list, we can bring you in. <laughs> so what were some and of the things so- on that list? Well, um, the first thing on the list was to make sure that you're um, non-GMO and start the non-GMO verification uh, process with the non-GMO project because Whole Foods um, has a thing now where they will not allow, and I agree with this completely, will not allow any new vendors into their stores that have not, are not, are are not non-GMO. So that was number one. Number two, we had to, we had to figure out. So this is something that's like another subject, but a very important one. One of the things about vegan stuff and plant-based stuff in particular and weird things like beans made, brownies made from beans is that, you know, I, I, I never thought about my shelf life before. So he needed to get it shelf like that just hadn't occurred to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How long does this thing stuff last? Who knows? <laughs> so um, it turned out we have a shelf life of five weeks, which is actually really, really good for a baked good. And um, the guy from Whole Foods wanted a shelf life tested, which we did. And then he fig- they figured out, which was really nice of them, because Whole Foods, for whatever you may say that's good and bad about it, they are very, very used to dealing with natural products. And one of the things that they will do for you is they'll kind of figure out how to make it work for their stores. And then in doing that, it, you figure out how it will work for other stores. So they figured out that what it really needed to be was baked, frozen, shipped frozen to the store and then kept frozen until it's put out on the shelf at the store. Then it defrosts on the shelf and then that's when the shelf life starts. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that... Does that make any sense? Because, and that was really important because otherwise we would never have figured out how to maximize our shelf life at the store. Yes, Ian, that's, I think, pretty good piece of information for anyone who's who's considering getting into the any part of the food business i think it's yeah. just to consider all of the options for for shipping for distribution and for um, making sure that you're actually meeting the requirements of of your distributors of of the places where oh, you're going to yeah. be selling Good. um yeah you know it's so funny so um one thing that definitely, as an entrepreneur, when I was first starting it, um, this business, you know, my dream, which I always thought I would be completely satisfied by, would be to get into my own whole local Whole Foods here in Brooklyn. That's really all I wanted to do. That's as far as I saw things. I really didn't have a very good grasp on how that how I was going to make that happen and who was going to deliver the product and all of that stuff. Um, and, yeah, I didn't think 
big. And then when this guy found me from Whole Foods Northeast, which is uh, 35 plus stores in the Northeast, he forced me to kind of look at the bigger picture and, you know, hmm, how am I going to get it there? What am I going to do? <laughs> you know, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah, but that's sometimes that can be the best way to grow when you have something that simply kicks you out of your comfort zone or pushes you to to expand your views because sometimes even when we have good plans we tend to limit them by what we think we're capable of and what we're capable of is actually a lot more we just need a little bit of a push and then all of a sudden you have to do it yeah you're totally right uh, Jerry, but I have to interject here. I think you're completely right. But um, they actually have something, and I've read articles about this and heard about it, called the Whole Foods Effect, which is that I was very lucky that the little mistakes that I had made up until that point and the ignorance that I had about how to make things happen didn't kill me off right at that point when all of a sudden – you know, I had an, uh, an order for 35 stores to sell um, because um, you really can. If you're not ready to scale up, like one of the things that was super lucky was that I had found this um, contract manufacturer to help me out. Um, if you're not ready, you can, you can easily not be able to fill that order and then go out of business right there and then. Yeah, see that um, the little mistakes that, you made that can add up what what else would that be well i would say that one thing that i did at first but very quickly luckily realized was a mistake is so originally i told you in new york state you can't it's illegal to bake stuff at your home and sell it so i knew i had to get a commercial kitchen which is just a place where you can make stuff commercially and sell it and then sell it after that um, with all the licenses and stuff like that. So um, I started off doing that, um, but it quickly became a thing where I was like baking all the time and I didn't have any other time to do anything else having to do with the business. So I realized really quickly that this was not going to work and it was also truly exhausting doing it and sometimes the only shifts that I could get at the commercial kitchen were like in the middle of the night so I feel like you know baking brownies from 2 to 6 a.m. So, so you were horrible. basically you, you were running the company and then you were baking the brownies at, right. at night or in For the early hours time. of the morning. No, it didn't last too long it didn't last too long Jerry so one so I realized very quickly that I this was not going to this was just not going to work, and I couldn't keep up with the pace. So I um, found a bakery that's a commercial bakery. So that means mostly they supply, like, private label stuff to stores and, and restaurants. And um, it tur I, I looked for one specifically that was allergen-free because in addition to being vegan, I, I also wanted to be gluten-free and, in fact, be top eight allergen-free, which is like nuts and soy and fish and, you know, all the other allergens. So um, I was lucky enough to find one close by. And um, before we even got to the trade show, um, I had shifted over to them and contracted with them to work with me. And so they were actually the ones making the samples, like I said, and FedExing them down. <laughs> also, I never would have had a packaging machine. My stuff, um, luckily, by the time that I got to the show and the trade show, and I think this is one of the reasons why I was able to get into Whole Foods, it was professionally packaged on a what's called a flow wrapper, which is just something that takes the basically the cellophane wrapping and wraps it around the package and seals it. But it wasn't it didn't have that really like homemade look. Mm -hmm. It had a real like I could see this in a store kind of look. And that was very lucky that I had made that switch before the show as well. So that's um that commercial kitchen in, in New York, are they still 
Are you still working with them, or this, are yeah. they still making most of all, yeah, all they're of still your making products? Yeah, mm -hmm. they uh, they uh, yep, they've they've uh, grown um, with us. Um, not that I have exclusive growth or anything, but I did end up being in uh, getting into like now we're in about sixty plus Whole Foods or in. 10 states so we ended up getting to those they they've done they've grown with us and uh we're in a bunch of like health food stores and stuff like that so yes so and it's it's good too because it's very hard to find um a good uh contract manufacturer as especially one who's allergen free and is certified and does all the plant inspections and stuff like that that you need so 60 whole food stores and the other stores. What does that mean in in terms of volume? How many brownies do do you make per per week? Like, do you, do you know the number? Um, yeah, we make like ten ten thousand brownies a week. Ten thousand brownies a week. That that's a lot of brownies. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's a lot of brownies. Um, because in addition to the stores, um, the Whole Foods and the other retailers. Um, we sell on Amazon and we sell, have our own online store. And, um, so yeah, we're kind of, we're kind of spreading the, um, I don't know how much your listeners know about Whole Foods. So Whole Foods is kind of like, um, one of the reasons it's, so incredibly necessary to someone like me is first of all for me they're my target market the people who shop there but also they're what's called an anchor account so basically um, when I got into the Whole Foods in the Northeast which is um, New York New Jersey and Connecticut um, Immediately, I was set up with a distribution, which you alluded to before, through a company called UNFI, which is the big, one of the big natural food distributors. And because of that, um, and because they were already delivering to Whole Foods in those areas, I was also able to get re other smaller retailers in those areas and start um, – you know, sending, having them carry my product. If I hadn't been in Whole Foods in those areas, it would have been a lot harder. But I was already set up with UNFI, the distributor, and these smaller health food stores and stuff order from UNFI, so they were able to order. So as we've spread out in other Whole Foods areas, we've been able to open up those areas for um, – other retail accounts as well. And what's tricky about Whole Foods is people may think, well, you know, huh, you got into Whole Foods, so that must mean you get into all the Whole Foods across the whole country. Yeah, it's not and that And it way, doesn't yeah. actually work that way. <laughs> In fact, it's a little like getting into college over and over again. You have to, Whole Foods has 12 different regions, and you have to apply um, over and over again to get into the various regions. And if you don't get in, they actually don't even tell you you didn't get in. You just have to try again. Uh, so, so it's kind of um, like sending out a book manuscript or something like that. If you don't hear back from them, point. it's because they didn't accept you. That's it. That's a much better analogy than the college thing because you hear about college. But um, yeah, yeah. So you just like keep on doing it, keep on plugging away and um, – and literally, the only way you hear that you got in, even, is that um, UNFI, that distributor we were talking about, contacts you to set up an account in that area. <laughs> and then you're expected to start providing for them, basically. Yeah. It? So you have to be ready. So, like, again, that's that whole foods effect about being ready. So, um, we, after we got into that Northeast, um, one, we did not have to apply the traditional way because of the connection that I made with that guy at that trade show. But then every other Whole Foods region, we just kept on sending out samples, and there's a big application form you have to fill out and all this stuff, and we never heard anything, we never heard anything. And then all of a sudden, for some reason, we got into Whole Foods South, which is like six states in the south 
including like um, Georgia and Tennessee and the Carolinas. And um, we all of a sudden, you know, the number of stores we were in doubled and we had to be ready to do that. Now, as, as you're talking in, in plural, in, in we, I really wanted to ask you about at, at this point when, when you started working with Whole Foods, how, how big was your team? Because you said you had Relish, was it? The, um, the yes, consulting company? The project. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then you had the commercial kitchen, but these are obviously outside contractors and or consultants yeah. <laughs> um what about your your core team the people that you were actually working with the people that you had in your company how how many were there and where did you find them well i'm still believe it or not pretty much the only one and i don't say myself um so uh yeah um you know it's still um first of all it's like we could get into this as a whole other topic. It's fantastically expensive to um, do this. So um, we really try to be as lean and mean as possible. So I say we, and I have a lot of help from a lot of freelancers and contract people. But honestly, I'm still my only employee. So you're the only one working full-time, I would say, because if you have you know, freelancers and the people working on your social media and, and all that. These... Yes, they all have other stuff. I mean, I'm hoping I'm their main squeeze <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they're devoted to me. But yeah, we don't, I mean, we don't, we don't have offices or anything. I'm work, still work out of my home in uh, Brooklyn and I have people working across the country for me in various capacities that are luckily really creative and really great at what they do but they do have other clients yeah because wow that's that is pretty impressive because i kind of got the feeling that you know after that initial push to to whole foods that you were mm -hmm. actually that you did start to grow in in terms of a team as well so right well, if you look at our website we yeah. have a team you know we have our whole team there and and i do in fact you know like somebody um so the women who run relish food project um they both have mbas and one works as my cfo mm -hmm. and one works as my coo and really does an enormous amount of operations work, like dealing with the co-pactor and dealing with the distributors and setting up, um, you know, trucking, how <laughs> we're going to get it from to our fulfillment center and all kinds of stuff um, that I couldn't live without and does work for me. All these people basically do work for me every day. And I, I did find, I did recently hire, um, last October, a guy to be my executive vice president of sales, but he's on a retainer and he works out of his home. And, um, and so, yeah, we're still kind of a loose, a loose bunch. Well, it's a great example how you can be a loose bunch or a displaced team in, in the 21st century and, and still function perfectly together you know you you don't need to be at the same place in the same office to to um, be building it, something it's true i think and in some ways look as a as somebody who you know as a freelance writer before this i really enjoyed working out of my home and not commuting and stuff like that so i still really i like that part and probably my team does as well i'm lucky that i have people who are unbelievably um highly self-motivated which i think is very very key and so i never have to worry about anybody getting anything done even though they're not we're not all together in an office you know they do it they're committed and um we really manage to run very, very smoothly. And and that's the most important thing when, when you have a team. So you you need to be able to rely on the people that that you're working with. Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> if if you don't mind me asking, I I get the feeling that right now you are completely 
bootstrapping everything. Is that right, or, or did you get any funding for, yeah. for the company? Yes. So, you know, this is my second career. So luckily for my first career, I, you know, made enough money that I was able to start this up. And, yeah, I'm completely self-financed except for a really a small but very meaningful loan from a um, com uh, thing called Kiva Zip, which um, your listeners should definitely know about because it's a crowdfunded loan. Not, not they don't give the money to you, but it's at zero percent, mm -hmm. and um, it's a wonderful, wonderful organization. That's actually a really great philanthropic organization and does these zero interest loans for startups all over the world, including in developing nations and stuff. So I got a little loan from them that helped, like five thousand dollars, and. Um, but otherwise, yes. And, um, and that's another thing I wish I had known a little bit more about um, because – and I try to tell people when – like, like uh, when really young entrepreneurs come to me and they haven't started their business yet and they think they're going to like – you know, they're going to be able to do it on a real shoestring. Uh, a shoestring is still a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. You've got to be prepared. <laughs> yeah, that that's the thing. Um, even, even if you're bootstrapping, even if you have a very lean team and a very lean process, those even the small expenses can, can add up to just a couple thousand dollars very easily yeah. and very fast, right? Yes, yeah. it's really true. So you have to be prepared. And the other thing is that I always tell people, like, everyone always thinks they're going to be able to, like, do their regular job <laughs> and um, and do this, too. And I'm like, nope, nope. <laughs> You're not going to be having time for anything else if you want to make this a success. Mm -hmm. So how do you, now, now that we're talking of it, you obviously you you are selling in in a lot of stores, but um, yeah. what about in terms of marketing? What what works for you? What, what are you using to raise the awareness of your products? Yeah, so at first we weren't doing anything, and I have to say, um, I um, I'm not personally into like social media. Like I don't spend a lot of time personally or never have on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And I kind of poo pooed their significance and I was completely wrong, <laughs> completely wrong. So, um, I finally, somebody said, you know, you're really making a huge mistake, not being out there and, and, um, and again, it's something, social media is something that you really need someone who A, knows a lot about it and B, is willing to really put the time in. So I hired, um, again, a freelancer, but somebody who does my social media full time and make sure we have a really robust presence. That's turned out to be a huge thing because we've reached out to the um, bloggers and the influencers, um, not just the vegan ones, although they've been really important, but also um, all the allergen-free ones, the gluten-free ones, the, the, the healthy mom ones. And so they've helped us spread the word as we've sent out an enormous amount of free product, which you have to do, as well as all kinds of little goodies like buttons and caps and mugs and, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, so you have to be prepared to spend time and effort on that. And then again, something I was, I was more interested in doing because I come from that world, but it still took me a while to do it, was um, traditional PR and press that way. And I have to say that that's been even um, better in some ways than, no, better's not the right word. That's been more effective in short bursts than even the social media stuff. So I hired a PR person. I had a lot of doubts about her at first, only because she's in Sioux City, South Dakota, which didn't seem like the epicenter to me 
of the press world, but her name is uh, Layla Belcher, and she has turned out to be incredible. She got us on the Today Show, and just that was just a gigantic um, bump in sales. And we've been in a bunch of magazines and on websites, and we're about to be in the Dr. Oz magazine this month, and those things really... um, they really boost sales. Now, an interesting thing about the Today Show is it boosted. We didn't have any warning at all. Like I had an hour warning that we were going to be on, and um, I wasn't on. Just our products were on, and um, we got such a boost that we weren't ready. Because even though we've scaled up our production in a general way, we weren't ready to have 600 or 700 orders come in literally that same day. Was that on Amazon or your online store? On our own website. They put our own website on. And so it came to our own website and we were swamped and we ended up pissing a lot of people off because it took us more than a week to fill those orders. And people were just, you know, enraged. And so I literally wrote an email to everyone who emailed me. And their customers are not shy about getting in touch with you. And I still do all the customer service pretty much myself when something goes wrong. They were enraged, and I had to tell them, apologize profusely, and say, look, we're a tiny company. We weren't ready. You know, we're doing the best we can. We want to give you the freshest product. So, you know. You end up, the customer is always right. That's our policy, always. Yeah, but also your approach to to that being you as the CEO contacting them and and being personal with them, I think that's really important, especially today, that you're not just some faceless brand and you don't have a front to deal with that. You you actually get in touch with the people one-on-one to, to sort out the, the problems that, that they have. Oh, definitely. I've actually called some customers because when they put their, um, you know, when they put their shipping information in and their credit card information and stuff, they put in their phone number. Um, that's been a mistake sometimes. <laughs> Especially if somebody is unhappy about something that is beyond my control, like, you know, UPS. Um, you know, left it out on my porch and it got rained on or something like that. Yeah. And then they go on and on. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, well, we'll send you some replacements. Um, But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, it turns out they they do like that. So I intend to keep doing that for as long as I can. Really, really glad to hear that. And, you know, just since you mentioned your your PR person, um, I only Mm -hmm. had to talked to Leila when when we were setting up this interview but she mm-hmm. is definitely effective and professional just just like you said totally and she really changed my mind i mean she had a lot of like great testimonials on her websites and 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 named the places the outlets that she had gotten people you know companies into and i was like hmm and i thought i would give her a chance cuz actually right before her we had some um, PR people in New York who were completely un- ineffective and way more expensive, and um, but I knew it was important, and I took a chance on her, and she's been amazing. And you really do need that kind of support because even though I'm, I was in that industry for a long time, and I have co- really good contacts at some of these magazines. It's just too much to keep to do everything um, that I do on a daily basis, just to keep the company running and keep pitching yourself and go and reminding people and sending stuff out and, you know, doing all the stuff that you have to do to make that happen. Yeah. And um, that's, that's a big trap when you're on an entrepreneur, especially with the things that you know how to do and you're good at, just like you said, yeah. At, at some point, you need to realize that, no, as as the person running this company, this is not my job anymore, and I need to let it go and, and let someone else take care of it. Yeah. It's funny because I was talking to two guys who have a um, – they're not vegan. They have a yogurt company called Chot, which is like a savory yogurt company. Um, Chot is a name for an Indian street snack. And um, – 
they're they're really young. They're like probably like 30 and they do everything themselves like they're the sales people and you know they I met them at a trade show and the product is absolutely wonderful and it's in Whole Foods and I'm a customer but I I just got the feeling like you know the things were slipping through the cracks perhaps because they there's no way they can do it even though there are two of them and I would love another one of me <laughs> there's um there there's no way you can do, you can handle everything completely by yourself yeah exactly exactly and um now I'm I'm just gonna switch it over a little bit here but you were talking sure. about all the customers before and one other thing that I wanted to ask you was with your recent rebranding, how did your customers react to that? Was there any confusion? And actually, what, what was the story behind, uh, behind changing the name? Yeah, okay, well, I'll start with the story. So um, basically, this is actually another thing that I didn't know about, and I wish I had. Um, so I remember I was on the subway and I thought of this great name, Pure Genius, and I went on the web when I got home and I looked and I saw that there wasn't another company named Pure Genius, and I did a trademark search. There's a, a U.S. government trademark website, and I couldn't find anything that was close. Um, and I'm thinking like, oh, wow, okay. And then I found a lawyer who does some trademark work, and we met at like a business event kind of thing. And I, I just I wanted to apply for my trademark, and I was just like, oh, could you do this for me? And he's like, sure, it'll be easy. Anyway, so I applied for my trademark. I knew I had to get a trademark. That much I knew. And on my old name, Pure Genius. And... You know, it takes like eight or nine months to go through the whole process. So you kind of do it and then forget about it and think, oh, it's okay. Anyway, and then the Trademark Commission came back and they asked a few questions, but nothing alarming. Waited another few months and then I didn't get it. And I'm like, oh, no. And by that time, I had heard a lot from people because eventually I will be looking for investors and I had heard from people that investors do not want you not to have a trademark name. And so I did a lot of soul searching because I really, really, really like the name Pure Genius and it really, um, it really was what the, what the brand was about. And it's, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this, but try finding a name that's good that no one's taken oh, and it is worth your life. <laughs> it, it can be one of the most challenging things when you're starting a business and you would think it's trivial, but it, it oh can God, be a no. huge, huge obstacle in your way if, if you can't think of a good one. Uh, well, I'm glad you understand because it's, yeah, so it was, it was, I was like, on top of everything to try to find a new one was just like, I, I knew how horrible it was going to be. And I was right. It was horrible. And it took, um, but I threw myself into it. I'm like, I'm not going to, this is one of those horrible problems I'm going to be done about. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I can do this. And uh, it took a few days of just doing this, literally trying to figure out a new name. And um, we came up with Rule Breaker. And, you know, actually, at first I was like, ah, uh, I don't know. But it actually speaks to a big part of what we're trying to do, which is really disrupt uh, snacks, uh, the snack category, with something that really is very different. And, um, and gives, I like the kind of rebel vibe. And um, so we made the decision because we are still – I mean, it sounds great to be in 60 Whole Foods, but the truth is we're still a teeny weeny little baby company. So better to do it now than later on when you're in even more stores. And uh, to answer your initial question, yes, there has been confusion. Strangely enough, the and we're still right in the middle of it right now. If you go on our website, you'll see that, you know, looking for pure genius, we're now rule breaker, you know, it's going to be that way for a while. But um, the confusion, the real confusion has not happened 
with our um, individual customers. Uh, we kept our branding, ex like our packaging, exactly the same, and our new logo fits right where our old logo did. So if you're not really, if you're just thinking, oh, I'm going to go and buy the brownie in the pink package or the blondie in the blue package, you know, if that's what you're we're remembering, you're not going to have a problem at the store looking, finding the same thing because we look very different. Um, but uh, from other stuff out there, but we look the same as we did when we were pure genius. However, <laughs> at the uh, store level, and more importantly, really at the distribution level for UNFI, which is that di big distributor that gets us from our bakery to the stores, um, they made it so that we had to basically almost completely start over with them. All the applications so did, and all the paperwork, you mean? Yeah, not only did we have to do all the paperwork, which was bad enough and is like like horrendous, like you can't imagine how much paperwork there is, um, although it sounds like you, you have some experience in this, but on top of everything, they changed the item number on our brownies, and that was key because all these retailers were really um, used to just ordering you know, they want to do things quickly. And one of the reasons they order from a distributor from UNFI is they just go down the list and say, say, oh, I want a case of this, case of this, case of this, case of this, then it all shows up at their doorstep. So they changed the way our items were coded, the numbers that the retailers used to order them. And that has caused a lot of problems. So we've had to make a lot of calls individually to retailers to tell them about it, send out email blasts, um, it's all complicated by the fact that UNFI doesn't like to give out the store, the information about the individual accounts you're actually in, uh, weirdly enough. So it, 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 that has turned out to be a problem. Luckily, most of them are catching on. It's been about a month now, um, but it's, it's, it's been, it has been a problem. And so how, how are you personally dealing with that? Because obstacles and challenges are... Just as you mentioned at the beginning, there's 99 things, 99 percent of the time that things go horribly <laughs> wrong. So, um, what what gives you the motivation and the drive to to push through it? Well, you know, well, part of it is, and I don't want to sound too highfalutin about this, but I really believe in the product. I can see there are people who tell me, you know, they eat one every day for breakfast, which is what I do also. And there are, there are kids who are, you know, have some horrible allergy to gluten and nuts who haven't been able to find anything that they could put in their lunchbox. They can finally do. I mean, you know, I have a lot of like people who really, really love it, who are depending on me. Um, and so I feel really good about what we're doing, and I'm certainly not tired of it yet, and I know we'll get over this. You know, I know that it'll be okay, that, that eventually everybody will figure out, okay, Pure Genius is now Rule Breaker. Okay, then it's now this item number. And, and you know, we're just like we, what um, uh, I and, and, and one of, and, uh, our salesperson did is we just divided up all the stores and we're calling them individually and you know we're just plowing through and you know get making it making it easier for them um, sending them emails you know that just spell it out that's the only thing in the email is our new item number and and little pictures of the old packaging and the old item number and the new packaging and the new item number and you know whatever we can do to kind of just um make it go more smoothly and i know it will be solved um but it is i'm glad i'm doing it now before i had you know 2000 stores to convince to change over exactly um but uh so it was good but it is a pain i look i wish I wish I hadn't had to change my name, but um, now I'm happy with it, and I know we'll get over this hump. On just a personal level, completely unrelated to business, what what grounds you and um, gives you the energy to, to continue? <laughs> you, you mentioned Zen, so how do you get to, to that Zen state? 
to the Zen state? Yes. Lots of deep breathing, <laughs> a lot of Pilates. Um, one of the things that I do make uh, sure I do um, is I go, I do a lot of exercise, um, both. So I love Pilates because it's nice and slow and it's difficult and I have to really concentrate. I was just there this morning at 6.15. Um, it means getting up very early for a class, but it's really great. Um, and I do lots of other kind of outdoor stuff, only stuff I like. I have a dog and I constantly am walking him around for breaks or going in Brooklyn. There's a big park called Prospect Park and I love to take him off leash, uh, there, which is every morning between seven and nine. So we get there a couple of times a week, um, so that keeps me grounded. I'm really lucky to have a saintly husband. We have been married for a long time. I think it's 35 years. <laughs> and um, he ate a lot of brownies, <laughs> including a lot of bad brownies, <laughs> when I was first developing the recipe. So that helps me keep me grounded. My daughter, who is 26, is um, uh, has just started working in the business with me. And so that's, she's not even full time either, but um, that's really nice. So, you know, I feel like I feel really good about what I'm doing. I feel like I'm making a difference to people. I'm making, certainly making a difference to myself. And, you know, I want to do it. I want to succeed. And I've learned from experience of not getting too excited about bad things that happen that, um, really the vast majority of stuff gets solved. It may take a little while, but it gets solved. Love it. Love it. Now, if, if there was just one piece of advice that you could give either to yourself before you started out or to anyone who's <laughs> thinking about starting this, what would it be? Oh, my. It would have been um, to uh, do a little bit more research up front by talking to people like me, not only talking to people like me, because so many entrepreneurs really do get in touch with other people in the business and they, and they, um, you know, ask all kinds of great questions, but they don't quite, um, believe that it's going to be that hard. So what you have to do, honestly, and this would be, I don't know if I could have done it, is believe it's going to be that hard and then do it anyway. That would be the most, the best piece of advice. Excellent. Um, Nancy, what, what future is it that, that you're helping to build? Like, what is your best case scenario vision of what's coming? Well, you know, I really, um, I, I, I feel like I've cracked the code for bean-based baked goods, and I have a plan for a whole bunch of uh, additional flavors um, that I'm really, really excited about. I also have plans for all kinds of other snacks and healthy treats based on beans that are not baked goods, but all kinds of other stuff. And... Um, you know, I kind of have them stacked up, and we're just Cause right getting now, there slowly. But right I'm now, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry because we we actually did not even mention this. But right now, you've got your brownies and and you've got your blondies, right? And one is more chocolate. That's right. Let me put is... in a plug then. It's the Rule Breaker Chocolate Chunk Blondie, which is like almost like a kind of. If you don't know what a blondie is, it's like a almost like a chocolate chip cookie with big chocolate chunks on the mm -hmm. top, and then we have our chocolate brownie which is a traditional kind of fudgy very fudgy deep chocolate brownie mm -hmm. and and what's coming in the future what what other oh uh, we have a whole bunch of i'm working on a wonderful no nut um it's going to be like called the no nutter bar and it's going to taste like a peanut butter chocolate chip bar but it's not going to have any nuts in it at all i figured out a way to do that which is quite interesting with um sunflower butter and some other stuff but it tastes like peanut butter um and uh i have a couple of other flavors coming up i have an idea for a chocolate pudding i want to work on so i have a lot of stuff awesome that's um that's 
peanut chocolate chip bar definitely sounds exciting to me <laughs> and um, I'm sure to other people as well. So to close this down, what what is the best way for people who are listening to this to learn about more about rule breaker snacks and where to buy them? Great. Well, I think the best thing, thank you, by the way, Jerry, I think the best thing would be to go to our website, rulebreakersnacks.com, and there you can either buy online, you can use our store locator, which will tell you if we're in a Whole Foods or another store near you, and you can also always go um, to Amazon and uh, order us from there. Awesome. And obviously, you are now present on many channels of social media as well, which is how I found you about six months ago. Oh, good. So, yeah. Yeah. So we're, um, we're uh, at, on Instagram and Facebook as Rule Breaker Snacks and on Twitter as Be a Rule Breaker. Great. Great. Nancy, um, it was really great talking to you. And I really can't wait to to actually try some of your products, either if you can get them down to me in Mexico somehow, or you know the the first time that I'm in in the states again, I'm I'm definitely getting some. Jerry, we will figure out a way. I promise you. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks for joining me Thank, today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a real pleasure. Great. Bye bye. And that brings us to the end of episode 18 of the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show with Nancy Kalish from Rule Breaker Snacks, sharing some really great lessons from her journey into the healthy snack industry. If you're lucky enough to live close to a store that carries Rule Breaker Snacks, I hope you have some for me as well. And if you want to get them online, you'll find all the links to the things that we discussed today at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com slash show slash episode 018. Now, if you have anything you want to share or any suggestions for future episodes, reach out on our social media or email me directly on jerry at theplantbasedentrepreneur.com because it's always great to hear from you and... I really want to give a big shout out to everyone who's following us on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, to everyone who's already subscribed to the Plant-Based Entrepreneur Show on iTunes, because it, it really means a lot to see your support and read all your comments there. I'll, I'll be back again next week with another episode. And until then, stay amazing and keep creating a plant-based future.